If you're interested, if you're a parent, particularly if a parent of a young child, um, um, Beck and I ordered these books. You can get them online. They come in a pack. Uh, and the pack is called Birds and the Bees by the book. Uh, it's written by a Christian uh, speaker and author. Her name is Patricia Rerakunen. If you went to the women's conference on the weekend at Belgrave, she spoke there uh, with our wonderful and Debbie O'Donnell. There's Debbie. Debbie's around here. Um, so she's written three, uh, some books. To, the idea is to create discussion as parents. The topics include learning about gender, learning about pornography, me and my family, talking about the biblical view of how families designed, uh, me and my body, uh, and then learning about sex, and then me and my brain. So these books are available to come and have a look at it if you want. They're just going to be up here if you want to have a look and see if you like them or not, if you want to you know, flick through them, and then uh, if you want to order them, go ahead. Um, we haven't read them yet, but I'm trying to prep myself just in case my son comes up to me and says, Hey, Dad, my uh, friend showed me something on the phone. What does this mean? So I want to be prepared uh, and not have an awkward conversation. It'll be awkward, but it'll be all right. Um, hey, uh, once again, welcome to Canterbury Gardens, particularly if you're visiting us. It's great to have you here with us. Uh, my name is Shabir. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We um, have been exploring uh, the Bible. We've been particularly exploring a particular letter by a guy called Peter. Uh, And we've been looking. He wrote two letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And we've been looking and taking our time through this little letter called 1 Peter. If you're someone who's new to the Christian faith, exploring it, it's been a while since you've been to church service. We're really glad that you made the time to come this morning. It's a blessing to have you here with us. And I hope that uh, you're blessed for those of us who've been traveling, we've been exploring uh, this reality that what does it mean, as Trev talked about it even this morning, what does it mean to be uh, a group of people who are set aside for God's purposes, and not only just to be in this world, that particular truths actually shape how we live in this world. We were talking about if we're born again, if we have given our lives to Jesus, then this is not just like a ticket to heaven. It actually shapes all of your life. It reorientates the way that you think about life and in this world in particular. And last week, we wanted to unpack what does it mean to be a tasteful community, uh, meaning that we've tasted the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then that means that shapes Uh, how we live and because it shapes we're actually compelled to live in a particular way and as even Trevor this morning shared about living as a chosen community Uh, and that just as a chosen community kind of being inward looking or being in a little holy huddle we've been given a task that is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the gospel but we don't live as a people who belong in this world but we actually live totally who as even Trevor shared this morning walking um, at a different beat, a different drum beat, living as exiles. And that shapes how we live internally, that we are fighting against the things in our hearts, but then it expressed out externally to those who don't know Jesus. So that conversation is continuing as Peter continues his uh, chat with, this, uh, with the group of churches that he's writing to. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'd press slide or physically turn there, that'd be great. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. Here is God's word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution 
whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as a people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, you're beaten for it? You endure. But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. It's the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we ask what's on your heart for us as a community. As we unpack this pretty tough topic of submission to authority. Settle our hearts and our minds. Speak to us both individually but also corporately. And show us how we ought to live for you in light of these truths. For those of us who don't know you or are exploring, I pray that you will reveal yourself to us. For your namesake and glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at one big topic, and it's going to be um, separated into three areas. The first, the big topic is, we're going to be looking at this idea of submission. And what does actually right submission look like in three areas of life, or two areas of life? The first area, what does a right submission look like uh, in submitting to those who are in power and is, has authority over us? Verses 13 to 17. And then, what does it look like to submit, and I've used the word work, what does it look like to submit in your workplace, in verses 18 to 20. And then finally, our example, our perfect example of submission, verses 21 to 25. So, submitting to people who have authority over us, who has power over us. So Peter is continuing this discussion to these churches. He's been saying to them, hey, as people who are chosen by God, a royal priesthood, you are called to be witnesses in this world. And that means you, your conduct should be a specific way that you live according to displaying these truths to those who are outsiders, as people watch. So he's talked about it already. He's talked about what it means to, um, to honor those who are unbelievers and how you live amongst unbelievers. Then he starts drilling a little bit deep to kind of say, well, what does it look like in your everyday life? And he's not just talking to a group of individuals. He's talking to a whole group of churches. And he says to them, be in subjection to every human institution. Every human institution that they were under at that time. 
And for that context, for that time, there were two main things. There was the emperor or the king, depending on the translation that you have, and then there's the governor. In short, what he's saying is, hey, there are two particular authorities over you. There's the national, there's the emperor and the king who rules over all, and then there's also those who are the governor. These are kind of local governors, the part of area that you're in. Now, just to give you a very short history lesson on what's going on into the group of churches that he's writing to. You can read about this in any history book. By the time Peter's writing this letter, most people would say that Peter is writing this as kind of his last epistle before he was martyred for his faith. And while Peter was writing, one of the main um, person who was in charge or who ruled over Rome was a guy by the name of Nero. Now, in time, you'll find in history that Nero wasn't probably the most nicest of emperors. He wasn't seen as someone who's quite evil. And he was one who was significantly who pushed that idea of emperor worship. It started a bit earlier than him, but he was one who was significantly um, wanted that. Nero was also known by the time, some say, some historians say, he burnt down Rome and he blamed the Christians for it. And the persecution was real and rife by the time it was in full power. He was known to throw parties where he would grab Christians uh, and he would uh, tie them up and light them and they would light up their parties. That was his torch. He would throw uh, Christians in to, the, um, to be attacked by lions by putting meat on them and so the lions would attack them. So this guy, by the time uh, he was in full power, wasn't the most nicest guy. But despite of that, by the time Peter's writing this, he wasn't fully there but he still was an emperor. And in the Roman culture, he had significant authority and power. There were, by the time, there were what they call emperor cults or worship cults that wanted to push this agenda that you have to worship the emperor as a god. So Peter's writing to a group of churches who understands. Not only that, a group of churches who most probably and most likely would have had the Roman Empire take over their land. They're not necessarily living as free people. But notice what Peter says. He says, be subject to all these authorities. But notice, did you notice his motivation? Why why should you do this? Verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, it is the will of God that you should submit. And in submitting, you're actually expressing a good work. It actually bears witness. It's such a strong witness that there are people around you watching you saying, let's go and see what these Christians do. And as you submit, as you're not trying to bring kind of like political upheaval in that Roman time, as you're submitting, as you're submitting to the Lord, for the Lord's sake, it actually muzzles those who are trying to speak against you. It muzzles their mouth. It shuts them up. And what he's saying in this moment is saying, hey, as you're submitting, ultimately you're all really showing that you're submitting to God himself because this is what God has done. This is how God has opened up. Then he gives this beautiful reminder to these group of churches in verse 16. He tells them, live as a people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He says to the group of these churches, hey, live as the people who have found freedom. You might think you're actually in slavery or you are under occupation, but actually you are free because the gospel has set you free. 
The truth of the gospel has set you free. But in this freedom, it doesn't give you any right to walk around and do whatever you like. Not to live under any kind of authority. But actually to live under authority, and that is to make sure you're not using your freedom to cover up evil, to get away with stuff. And the motivation again, why are you doing this? Who are you first? You are servants of God. And then to drive that further, he summarizes it. He tells them, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It's an interesting uh, tagline that he says. I don't know, has anyone ever been to, uh, there's this cult movement called Boys Brigade and Boys Rally. No, joking, it's a bit rough, I know. Uh, If you grew up in the Christian kind of world, anyone been to Boys Rally, Boys Brigade? Don't, Don't be ashamed, put your hand up, it's all right. I think one of these guys had this as a motto, right? Boys rally. rally. Now, I think they changed the emperor to the queen, from memory. Yes? Yeah? It depends if you use King James or not, right? (laughs) Okay, so this was part of the Christian culture. We kind of adopted this. You might be familiar with it, but it's kind of like uh, the summary statement. And what he's doing in this moment, he's saying very clearly, honor, value all people. Then he drives it further to say, express that now in your community of Christians. Uh, in here, the brotherhood, better translation is probably to say, love the family of believers. And then he puts a very powerful statement of fearing God. And then he puts underneath that, honor or value the king or the emperor. It's a really beautiful piece of writing, really. It's kind of like if you could imagine kind of a motto that you would say, I'm not sure if it was a motto in those times. But what he's saying very clearly to his group of churches is that as followers of Christ, as a royal priesthood, you should honor all people, everyone. There's no room for favoritism. Because ultimately they are image bearers. Yes, they are broken and marred, but they are image bearers. And this should be this love that Christ has shown you should be also expressed in your community, in your local community of believers. That the language here is kind of like you're caring for them. You're deeply involved in their lives. It's actually family kind of language. He makes a wonderful point of fearing God. Now, it's interesting he puts fearing God and then he says, honor the emperor. And those days and times, to say something like it would have been quite challenging for these churches to hear this. He's not saying fear the emperor. He's saying fear God. That's who you fear. Have reverence for your God. And then honor the emperor. And, and the language he's using is actually almost, not almost, he's saying, hey, just as you honor people, honor the emperor. The emperor is brought down to the same level as people. He's making a strong point here. Particularly in the time when the emperor of worship would have be on its way. It was fast-tracking by this time. And then he says, you do this all because for a particular reason. Even though you honor the emperor, understand who you serve first, that you serve the one and only true God. You fear him first. He's saying to this group of churches, as a chosen group of genera- a nation, as a royal priesthood, You're submitting to the authorities that God has placed over you, churches, for one particular reason, for the Lord's sake 
and to know that these institutions have actually been placed by God. And if they are doing what they are meant to be doing, they should be actually protecting you from evil, including you churches of dispersion. And in that moment, as you're submitting to these authorities that God has placed over you, you're actually displaying good works to those who are watching you. And you're actually shutting their mouth. You're not involved in kind of creating division or all these kind of issues that would have been quite rife in that time. The reason why you do that is because you've found freedom. You've found freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But don't use this freedom for the evil that the world will tempt you. And that evil, well, we talked about it last week. You can read that earlier on. Now, he's not telling these group of people just shut their mouth and do, do what the emperor says. Remember, right? Royal priesthood, chosen for God's purposes. They're a holy nation. That means they have an ultimate authority that they will always submit to first. That is God. And this is what he's saying. In doing, as you submit to God, you submit to these institutions. Because ultimately, he is the first one that you submit to. So if the day comes, the day comes of the emperor does anything or calls you out to deny Christ, to worship the emperor, to add to his gospel, well, you say, no, I fear God. I serve him first. And many did that, including the author of this letter who would eventually be martyred for his faith. So fast forward to 2017. Cambridge Gardens Community Church. Aussies. What happens when you read these words? What comes to mind when you hear, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good? What is our response in this day and age? It's easy when we look at these kind of verses to kind of skip them. But see, this is the wonderful truth about God's word. It's relevant for any time in any season in history, even particularly in this season that you are living in, that we are living in as a church. Now, I don't know. I've been in Australia since 1987. And I'm not sure. I don't know if it is because... Generally, as Australians, whether if it's a convict heritage thing, I'm not sure. But when it comes to the idea of authority and submission, there's something that happens in us. There's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. When we think about submission and authority, we go, "Uh, I'm not sure about that idea of submission. Authority I get, how about we do authority and tolerate? How about we, yeah, we want authority, you know, we need the authority around us to to put that perimeters, we need that, you know, governments, all those kind of legislation, all those things are good for us, but let's just tolerate them. My American friends always joke with me about how they've seen, like, political stuff, particularly in the parliament, and then the response of Australians to their people who are in power. Now, maybe not about the current American president, but in general, when they talk about the American president, they have quite a bit of honor for them. They don't actually just, you know, talk down. They may not appreciate them in some sense, but there is an honor. In our culture, it's quite countercultural to that. 
This was very typified for me recently. I was heading to the shops, and um, because it's a public place, um, there was a sign, and the sign said, no alcohol permitted in this public space. Don't drink, right? <laughs> and on the edges of the sign were two Jim Beam cans sandwiched in. And to me, that really typified was, well, this is what you can do with your authority. Don't tell me no what to do. But friends, often I hear in our day and age, putting modern commentators talk about, yeah, we're living in a guest authority um, culture. Well, you know what? That's actually nothing new. That's nothing new. That's the story of the Bible. So God in his grace and mercy created us to be under loving authority, his loving authority. Sin comes into the world and the temptation is, yes, you can actually be your own God. You can be your own authority. You don't need a God to be under his loving authority. And that has corrupted everything. But here's the reality. Since the day you and I are born, we are all under some sort of authority. We are all under some sort of authority. And we need to remember, as long as God has us here in this place, in his good mercy, he's actually placed us. Placed us under these governments, under these councils. And he's calling us, not just to bear with it, actually be good citizens of heaven in this world. And God's mandate is to be good citizens because for the right motivations. Remember verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, because it's God's will. Verse 16, it's because God has actually given you freedom in the gospel. You have actually freedom in the gospel. In light of that, you live for the purposes of God under these authorities that God has placed. And in such a way that you don't live saying, oh, because I've got this freedom, I can do whatever I want. No, because you belong to Jesus. As truly free people, we are called to live in submission to him and honoring those that God has placed. Honoring everyone and then also loving those who are brothers and sisters in Christ and then honoring even the governments and councils that God has put over us. Friends, what comes to mind when you and I think of the Prime Minister of Australia, Malcolm Turnbull? What stirs in your heart? Okay, let's keep it a little bit more Victoria. What comes into your heart when you think about the premier of Daniel Andrews? I don't know if that was a cough of some kind. <laughs> what do you think about Tony Dipp, who's the mayor of the city of Maroondah, which is what we're part of as a church? See, God has placed them in his providence to govern our nation and state and municipal and we're not actually just called just to tolerate them. We need to be a culture and a group of people who honor them. Yes, they are. I'll talk about it in a minute. Marred, and they are not necessarily standing, or most, most probably not even standing for the things of God. But there's a mandate that God has given us. I mean, if you want to drill a bit more personal, what happens when we think about the authorities that we face every day? What do you do and what do I do when we see a road sign that says 60 k's an hour? Do we take that as a recommendation or do we think that's law? A few months ago, um, I was driving. I saw the yellow light and I thought to myself, 
I think I can make it. I was convinced I was making it. I'm making sure I wasn't speeding. I went through the yellow light. I thought I was fine. A week later, I get a spinning fine. You open the mail. And I look at it. Do you know what my first response was? My first response was, nah. I'm thinking I'm going to argue this case. Because it says, if you want, you can you know, put your case forward. Now, I don't know if you've recently got a, a particularly speeding camera sort of one. They send you the photo. There's a link. And so I went to this link, a red light camera. It was very clear that I was way, nowhere near in a safe way. And they had every right to send that fine in my foolishness and stupidity. And I should pay, and I did pay that fine. <laughs> anyway. But what is our response in these things that God has actually placed, these governments, these rulers? Friends, our, our response is what the Bible says, to honor everyone. They are marred, image bearers of God. But then you drive that further, then you bring it back home. Yes, honor everyone, then also love those who are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Both here in Canterbury Gardens Community Church, but the language here is the family. Remember, there's a whole group of churches that Peter's writing to. So honor and love those who are anyone who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, same gospel that we believe in, we treat them as brothers and sisters of Christ. That means loving those even though who may disagree with you on certain theological issues, may not even be part of this church denomination. We are called to love them. And then having that foundation still to have reverence of God and then honor in that reverence, honor those that God has placed in power according to what is required of us. That's what it looks like. What is required of us? There are laws and things that are set in place at the moment that are for our good and we should obey those things. Now, knee-jerk reaction will happen for us where we turn around and go, well, what if? What if X happens? What if, can you see Shabu? Do you know what's going to, do you see what the political groups are doing? Yeah, totally, I see it. But remember what verse 6 says. Verse 6 says that as we live, as free people, being shaped by the gospel, we don't abuse it, but we also then remember who we fear first. We fear God. That we're under His loving lordship. And it's because of Him if the moment comes, and it might come, when you stand for the gospel, if the government says, we need you to deny Christ, we need you to accept this law, and if you don't, you cannot be a pastor or a, a, someone serving in this church, we say, no, we fear God first. God comes first. We do not deny him and his gospel. There are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are experiencing that every day. A few months ago, I had the privilege to go to the States, and many of you were praying for Beck and I as a family, and we appreciate that. We had the great privilege to meet pastors from around the world. And one particular pastor, a friend of mine, uh, currently serves in a, in a place that is uh, prominently Muslim. Uh, they have a ruler who is a fairly... Um, strong Muslim king and uh, he was telling me that I said to him how does it look is this like underground he's like no we're quite open Uh, on my working card it says I'm a religious minister so they know what we do we've made it very clear from the word go somehow the Lord is allowing it at the moment 
But we've committed to, in our church, every, every Sunday, they, uh, sorry, no, I won't say which day, when they gather together as a church, they gather and they pray for this particular ruler. Now, this ruler is known for his hate for Christians and standing against that kind of stuff. And I said to him, what happens? And he said, look, Shabu, if the day comes, me and my wife are martyred for the faith. It's all for God's glory. If the day comes that they ask us to deny Christ, no, we fear him. We may be sent to jail or thrown out to the country. And I was quite reminded by him that this is what, when as I read this, this is what it means to live as a faithful people, submitting to the authorities but for the purpose of God's glory. This is what it means to submit. And Peter moves on and he drills a bit further in the everyday life that those people faced. He says in verses 18 to 20, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. And mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it then when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In those moments... Uh, when we think about the language of servants, or some translations might have slaves, um, our minds straight away go to the things that we are seeing in our day and age, even now or in the past, like about the slavery that happened uh, with the African Americans and other different um, nationalities. Sadly, slavery even happens today in our day and age uh, in, this, in this world. This is not the language that Peter's using here in this moment. In that time, a bit of a history lesson again, they were kind of like unskilled people, unskilled workers. They were laborers, and they had skills that they were both taught, and some of them actually were managing. They had managed households, or they had different professions. They were trained members as well, as they were equipped to serve the people around them. Now, even in that time, there was actually legislation put by that government on how you should treat these slaves or these um, servants. So there was kind of this protection around. Some of them even um, were actually paid for their work, and ultimately they would work their way out into freedom. They could purchase their freedom. Now, here's the thing, though. It was involuntary. The Roman Empire comes in, and the choice was either you die or you work for us. And this is the way that they set it up. So it's quite confronting if you are one of these people. As you worked during the week for a master uh, and you were just a servant, it would have been quite confronting to read these words. Peter's instruction is, hey, be subject to your bosses, whatever kind of boss you have, with reverence. Whether if they're good, gentle, or if they're crooked. And remember again the motivation, why? Why are they doing this? Is it so that they can eventually buy their freedom? Is it so they can be the uh, you know, star employee of the month? No, verse 19. Because in that moment as they endure hardship, they know that they know that there is a God who is mindful and they are also mindful of God who is watching them and is with them. And he even kind of pushes that further to say, hey, that idea of endure, look, if you endure... In the sense that you do something wrong and the response of your master is to beat you up? Well, okay, you did something wrong. But what happens in that moment when your boss or your master is actually causing you to suffer even when you're doing good? Actually, injustice is happening. And Peter's response to these group of churches is endure. Because God's grace is with you as you suffer. 
as you go through this, the Lord is watching you. Now, friends, if you're visiting Canary Gardens and you're thinking, oh no, he's a pastor talking about slavery, is that cool? What, what? No, in this land, in the land that we live in, slavery is against the law. It should never, ever happen. Even in our area, in the city of Maroondah, there is sex slavery that happens. And even a few months ago, there was a brothel that was found by the police. There were people used for sex slavery in our own town, just around the corner. That is wrong and sinful. It's injustice. It should not happen. In the context that Peter's writing here, though, he's saying to the group of people, hey, in the season that you're in, as servants, remember who you're submitting to first. But in light of that, submit to your masters. Even endure as you're being mistreated. Knowing that there is a God who's watching you, who cares for you, who in his grace is allowing this trial and challenge. See, in the world that we live in, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I will face trial. You will face injustice. See, in the Western context in particular, we are adverse to pain. I mean, I get a headache, I'm straight for the Penadol. I'm like, oh, no, my head's hurting, quick Penadol. When it comes to pain and trial, we're just adverse to it. Now, it's all good to have these kind of things around us to help in our pain. But in the context of Peter's writing, it's just assumed. You will face injustice. You will face injustice. So when we translate that to today, I guess the question is, as we think through that ultimately we are all under some sort of authority, and, and, and when we're under authority, it's actually quite easy to be under authority when people are being really good to us, kind with us. You might have the greatest boss in the world at work. But what about when they're being an absolute jerk and really not helping the situation? What if they're actually going to mock you and ridicule you even for your Christian faith? What if they turn around to you and say, hey, um, I know that you are a Christian and so you're going to face all these injustices. It might come in subtle ways. What will be our response? This is not talking about, you know, do illegal stuff and, you know, just because your boss is telling you that nothing about that kind of stuff here, okay? What he's saying is in that moment for you and I, on Monday to Friday, when we're at work, if you have someone who's treating you unjustly, what will be your response? What will be my response? Maybe the call to us is to remember that God has you there. But be mindful that he is there with you. He sees it, and maybe he's asking you to endure. And friends, if you are um, someone who has significant authority in your workplace, there are people working under you. What kind of boss are you? Are you in any way showing injustice to people who are under your employment? Is your witness the same as you are here on Sunday or in your small group? Is the same witness happening Monday to Friday? Recently, I chatted to a, um, a Christian who works in, uh, in the trade field, and he was talking about how he went to a job site, and the person who was putting this stuff together was a, proclaimed to be a Christian. As he was talking to these other people who weren't Christians, they turned around to him and said, oh, you're a Christian just like so-and-so, are you? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, different churches and stuff. And the, guy, the, the group of people said to them, man, if that's what Christianity is, we have no interest. 
Because it became out as he was working for them, this person was ripping them off, doing the job dodgily, cutting corners, not paying the people that he was meant to pay. It actually was an injustice, and it was actually a front to the gospel. Friends, you and I will be in situations where we will be challenged, and we may even face injustice. Paul, um, Peter's response is, as he's unpacking and even says, hey, remember, you serve someone, you fear someone first, and in light of that, this is how you respond in those moments. To know that God has there with you, and maybe he's calling you to endure. And to drive that home, he unpacks, I think, to me, has become one of the most beautiful verses in the New Testament. He shows to them what example of submission looks like. And I pray the Spirit will make these words penetrate your heart. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was he deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Man, what powerful words. I hope you heard those words. It would have been a powerful words for a church that would have been facing trial and injustice in their everyday life. And what Peter's doing, I think, is saying like a Christ-centered motivation. He's saying to them, hey, churches of the dispersion, Christ suffered, so suffer. He was unjustly treated, so bear the injustice that you're facing right now. He actually took the blame that was for you, he took it onto himself. So in that moment, your boss, your, your leader is treating you unjustly. Bear the blame because he took your blame. And in light of that, to live. Live because of this truth, because he's given you righteousness because of the gospel. Live as a righteous people. Know that he was wounded. Those nails, those crown of thorns, the spear on his side, wounded for you. But that wound, he's actually healed you. For that sin, that disease that was in your heart and soul, he's healed you. You were totally lost, wandering around like a, sh- a sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus has drawn you to himself. And he's called you. And he's given you his life. See, Peter would have seen this. He would have walked with Jesus, his master. He would have seen, he denied Jesus. He would have seen Jesus on the cross. He saw what authority looked like. One of the most poignant verses up here on the screen from the Gospel of John. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And Pilate says this to him. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. Jesus is saying, in that moment, the one who has full authority, 
knows very clearly how Pilate got his authority. It was from above. Friends, if you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, can I just say this to you openly and quite hope you hear this in a loving way. The reason why you ultimately buck against authority is in the deepest and hearts of heart, you're really bucking against the loving authority of Christ. Do you want know the heart of the gospel message? Ultimately says, hey, give your life up and follow Christ. That's an authority thing. That's a submitting to authority thing. But I hope you hear these words, that we have a Savior who actually suffered for you on your behalf. He was someone who did not commit any sin. He was the one who had all authority, and you read about his life. He had authority to heal. He had authority to cast out demons. They even said his teaching was in such a way that he taught as one with authority. Yet he had no deceit in his mouth. Even though when he was maligned and falsely accused, he didn't answer back. And when he suffered on that cross, he could have called all the heavenly angels to come down and wipe and annihilate everybody. But he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Because he knew in that moment, ultimately in that garden, when he said, Father, let your will be done, not mine. He was entrusting in knowing that justice was going to be happening. Justice would prevail because his father is good. So he bore your rebellion, my rebellion, your sin, my sin. And there's only one way that can be truly healed in your soul of souls. That is through Jesus Christ. Provides through his wounds you can be healed. And right now whether you realize this or not, you are actually astray. And your shepherd Jesus Christ might be even calling you today to return to him. He's a good shepherd who gave his life for you. If that is you, we would love for you to have that conversation with us. Maybe talk to the person who brought you here. If someone who calls Canterbury Gardens home, you should be able to turn around to them and ask ask them, hey, tell me about Jesus, and they should be able to tell you who Jesus is. And friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is our motivation to the submission to authority that God has placed over you. Because he is the one who could totally and 100% perfectly do it. And because you're his child, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, he's calling you to submit for his purpose and glory in this world, in your place, wherever he has placed you, all for his sake. Looking to Christ as your example. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. And there's going to be two things I'm going to invite you to do this morning. Firstly, there's going to be some questions. And the idea of these questions is to cause you to pause and listen and reflect and ask these questions to yourself. Another thing might be, you might be like, okay, I'm traveling okay. I would also invite you maybe to turn to the person next to you and pray for the government that we are under currently here in Australia, whether it's the state or federal government. Or maybe there's something going on right now that you yourself are facing injustice at work. Maybe turn to the person next to you and say, hey, can you pray for me? This is what's happening. So here are the three questions otherwise you can reflect on. What is your knee-jerk reaction when you hear the word authority? At home, work, or even in our government? Secondly, 
Do you love to be in authority but struggle to be under authority? What is your response when someone says to you, you can't do that? It's a good test question. And thirdly, to give you hope, look to Jesus. The one who was crucified, who has suffered for you. The one who has left an example for us. The one who did not commit sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The one, even though he was reviled, did not revile in return. Even though he suffered, he did not threaten, but ultimately continued to trust his Father who would ultimately and will one day bring justice to everything. He's the one who bore your sin and my sin on that tree so that we might die to sin every day and live in righteousness. Oh, Christian friends, you've been, Christian friends, you've been healed by his wounds. And if you're straying, maybe even today, return to your shepherd, who's the overseer of your soul. So spend some time in reflection and prayer, maybe praying for a government, praying for one another, or just spend some time in silence reflecting on those questions and hear what God has to say to you.